Today is June the 22nd. What does the Bible say about generosity? Let's find out together as we look throughout Scripture at God's generosity. So throughout Scripture, we seem to have a pattern that develops concerning generosity. From Genesis chapter 2, we see that God is the generous host of mankind. He creates a garden. He puts mankind in the garden. In chapter 2, verse 16, God tells Adam, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. God starts off by giving man everything. He puts man in a garden, the center of a garden that he has made. The garden has everything that the man would ever want, everything for his pleasure, everything for his bodily necessities, everything that he could ever want. Just one restriction, this particular tree, don't eat of that tree. So what does man do? In chapter 3, man begins by distrusting God. Chapter 3, verse 5, the serpent comes to the woman and says, has God said, don't eat from any tree? And the woman says, oh no, 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 we can eat from every tree except that one. The serpent then says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. God gave Adam and Eve generously everything that they needed. Adam and Eve took more. Adam and Eve decided that they shouldn't trust God, that God didn't have their best interest at heart, and they disobeyed the one thing that he told them not to do. Now this sets us up all throughout Scripture to see this pattern repeated time and time again. God gives generously to mankind, and he calls mankind to be equally generous. But mankind, instead of being generous, decides to take and keep what God has given him to hoard it, to distrust God. Yes, God provided for us yesterday, but he might not tomorrow. All throughout scripture we see this pattern repeated time and time again. Chapter 12, we now have God interacting with a man by the name of Abram. Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I'll show you and I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, God repeats that covenant with Abram several times.
but most uh, directly in chapter 17, where the Lord appears to Abram and says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Then he says uh, later on in that chapter, verse 8, I'll give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It'll be their possession forever and I'll be their God. So God makes the covenant with Abraham. Israel goes to live in Canaan. Uh, you follow the story of Abraham's family throughout the Old Testament, how they went to Egypt uh, because there was not abundance, because uh, there was a drought and a famine. So they fled to Egypt to live. God brought them back, but even when they came back, they did not live to give away what God had given them. They decided not to live generously, but instead to hoard. They were told to spread the word. Instead, they hated the nations who surrounded them. As a result, in, Gen in uh, Jeremiah, we see in chapter 11, verse 10, Jeremiah says, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I've discovered a conspiracy against me among the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their forefathers. They've refused to listen to me and are worshiping other gods. Israel and Judah have both broken the covenant that I made with their ancestors. God says, you have broken that covenant. You have decided not to live generously. Instead, you've kept what I've given you for yourself and you've gone into the neighboring countries and you have taken from them. You've taken idol worship from them. So in the book of Jeremiah, later on, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, Again, God speaks through Jeremiah and says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant won't be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, even though I love them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel on that day. I'll put my instructions deep within them. I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness. I will never again remember their sins. Jeremiah talks about a new covenant that God is going to make with Israel and Judah that extends beyond just Israel and Judah and reaches even to the Gentiles. In Luke chapter 22, on the night 
that Jesus was betrayed. He had a supper with his uh, disciples. Apparently at this point, only 11 of them were present. Judas had already gone out to betray him. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So Jesus gives himself and that becomes a new covenant. Do you see God constantly giving? He gave Abraham, uh, Adam uh, the Garden of Eden. Adam decided it wasn't enough. He wanted what God told him not to do. God gave Abraham a new covenant. He gave him the land of Palestine. Israel decided that wasn't enough. They wanted the idol worship that their neighbors had. So they went into their neighboring countries and brought back idols that they could worship. Finally, God sends himself. He sends Jesus as the ultimate act of generosity. He gave his own life for us. God calls us as a result to be generous. This is true in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus chapter 25 verse 35. He says, if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him. Support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. In the book of, book of uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, the Lord says, if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous. Lend them whatever they need. All throughout the books of the law, there are laws that uh, they're not to harvest all of their wheat field. They're to leave the edges unharvested so that the poor can go and harvest for themselves what they need to be able to survive. All throughout Scripture, there are indications that God has been amazingly generous with us. And he calls us to be generous as well. So what's happened in the world today, we find more than ever a deep polarization between the haves and the have-nots, between the rich and the poor. Even the poor of the country that we live in are rich by the world's standards. Rich to the world means someone who has enough clothing for today and tomorrow, enough food for today and tomorrow, and that's it. Some 821 million people in the world live in poverty. That means they don't have enough food for today. Just in sub-Saharan Africa in 2014, there were 195 million who lived in poverty. Today, there are 237 million just 
in sub-Saharan Africa. The UN tells us that uh, the affluent countries of the world produce enough food to be able to feed the entire world, and yet there is poverty, and there are areas in the world in which they don't have enough food to survive. I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. It's just the reality that we live in. So today, as we come to the end of this devotional, spend some time thinking, what can we do? What are things that we can do to alleviate poverty that we might see around us and poverty that is so distant that we can't even see it? Please like, follow, and subscribe to this devotional. Email your questions to us at questions at becomehope.com. Tomorrow, we'll answer the question, what is it that we can 